I think we hear a lot of talks, and I just pray that this would add to what you're doing in our lives. God, I pray for each of us in this room right now that, um, that we're on a journey with you, Jesus, and, and we know you're speaking to us and you're working in our hearts. I just pray that what I say today would be just another step, another piece, God, in what you're doing. And we invite your Holy Spirit. You know, you know better than we do what we need right now, so let your, let your word come alive to us and, and just feed our hearts and our souls and our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so um, we're going to start a new teaching series tonight that'll be, oh my gosh, you two are sitting next to each other. Oh, we should just say the meeting's over now. Claire, can you sit between them, please? Yeah, it's... Oh man, okay. Worse than middle schoolers. So um, I... uh, I think that I've told this story only at youth meetings. So if you've heard this one before, sorry. But um, uh, it's going to go really well with my theme, all right? Wawa. No, it has nothing to do with Wawa. So um, Mandy is famous for her cookies. And you may not know this. Mandy's my wife. You may not know this. But I also make really good cookies. Uh, yes. Yes. So. Um, years ago, you were very small. Yeah. So uh, this was years ago, but I decided to try to bless Mandy by making some cookies. Uh, she was like working hard and she was out somewhere and I was like, I know what I can do. Uh, like I had the kids help me. I was like, they were, they were little. I was like, we're going to make some, some chocolate chip cookies just like Mandy does, right? So, um, so I made a batch of chocolate chip cookies just like Mandy did and, and they looked pretty good. And so I was all excited for her to come home, but I, I had to taste one. So I tasted one and I was like, my first bite, my first thought was, this tastes a lot like Christmas. Like, that's all that I could think of. It tastes like Christmas smells, right? Have you ever tasted something that tastes like a smell? Like, like when you drink whole milk and it tastes like cow's smell. That's why I can't drink whole milk. And uh, so I was like, my man came out. I was like, I don't know what I did. Taste one of these cookies. They, they, they taste like Christmas. And she was like, yeah, that's weird. And I, I said, well, I, did. I followed the directions exactly like the same directions you have, the same ingredients, and she was like, well, show me what flour you used. And I said, see this thing here full of white? This, it's flour. And she was like, no, no. That, it was like a Ziploc bag. I don't know why I thought we would have flour in a Ziploc bag, but it was, it was nutmeg. So I had, I had made a whole lot of nutmeg in our cookies. So scratch that. No lie, a couple weeks later, I was, you know, because I'm, I'm not someone who likes to fail. I was like, I'm doing this again. All right. So I made another batch of cookies to surprise her. And, and I tasted those and... I was like, wow, those are salty chocolate chip cookies. I mean, there is something wrong with those cookies. So I, no. so I looked through, like, you know, went back and thought through all the steps, and I read it over again, and it was like, you know, a couple teaspoons of salt, and I did tablespoons. That makes a big difference. So I, I just so you know, I took them to youth group that week and didn't say anything, and they were gone. <laughs> And Isaac, Isaac and Becca, that was your age group right there. So you guys ate them. You're like, oh, it tastes fine to me, you know. <laughs> we used to have uh, senior high come to our house uh, if for a small group. And no lie, we, Mandy would make like 80 cookies. And they'd be gone before we started discussion. Like just in the first half hour of hanging out. They, those kids can put away cookies. So anyway, ingredients matter. See how the story went? Ingredients matter. They do. You might not think they do, but one ingredient off can make a huge difference from Mandy's famous cookies to things that you would never want to eat. 
And, um, and I want to talk about, we're going to be teaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and I'm going to be talking about, so the, the title is Let Love Increase. And we're going to be talking, we've been talking about church and here at this service, trying to create an atmosphere where people who don't uh, normally go to church could come in and, and feel at home, could feel like we're relating to each other, could, could make a connection again with God. There's a lot of people in, in America specifically who have, you know, been de-churched is this new term, where you used to go to church, but for whatever reason, it's, it, it got stale or somehow you got hurt or you got disconnected. And, and you know, could we create um, a, a church for people who are just seeking, but, you know, church in and of itself has become difficult for them. Who's, who, how are we to build those bridges again? And I was reading through First Thessalonians, and it's, it's really cool because Paul, um, this, this sounds like a really— ruined missions trip, okay? Paul goes to Thessalonica. It's a, a, a town near Greece, and he spends three weekends there before he gets run out of town by an angry mob of Jewish Thessalonians. all right? So he got to be there for three weeks. He preached on three Saturdays, and that was it, and they ran him out of town. He went to another one that I think was called Berea, and he was there for a couple weeks, and the Thessalonians chased him there and ran him out of that town, all right? So he left Timothy and Silas at Berea, but he went on. He went on to Athens, and he, that's when he, you know, in, if you're following along in Acts, that was all Acts 17, 18. Then he went to Athens where he had all the idols. And then, um, then he ended up in Corinth, okay? So, you know, he is always traveling. And when he's in Corinth, Titus and Silas come to visit him, and he's been persecuted, and he's had all these difficult things he's gone through. And Titus, Timothy, Timothy, uh, uh, Titus, I can't even say his name, Titus, but he's not in the story. Timothy and Silas. Oh, that's what I did. I combined those two names. Yeah, got it. Uh, they, they came to meet him and they bring him this great news that the, the Christians and the, the little tiny church that got started in Thessalonica is actually thriving and it's doing so well. And he's so excited that he writes his first pastoral letter. And, and that's really where the New Testament comes from, is Paul writing these pastoral letters to groups that he can't be with in the current moment. So that's, I never knew this. This is the first letter, chronologically. I, I didn't know that. And it's pretty cool to jump in and you get to hear this passionate Paul who's just at the beginning of stuff talking about what really matters about sharing the message of Jesus Christ and what that church should look like. And so we're going to spend a few weeks going through First Thessalonians, and we're going to talk about a couple, kind of two sides of the same coin. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, from Paul's perspective, what ingredients make the message, right? What, what was he, when he was there, he was intentional. What ingredients made the message? And if we're talking about wanting to be a church who's going to reach people who don't know Jesus, it would be smart to study what he did, because he probably knew what he was doing. And then he's going to, as the letter goes, he becomes more, uh, pastoral for like, here's how to keep this going. And we're going to talk about, so we're talking about let love increase for those people outside. And then we're going to talk about the love on the inside of this church and, and what, what needs to happen here. So I think it's going to be kind of a both and nice experience. But I want to start uh, because we're going we're gonna to be talking about what ingredients made the message something that, that stuck with the Thessalonians, right? I mean, three weeks is not a very long time. You're, you're talking to them about uh, there's are Jews, so a lifetime of a certain religion. And then for three weeks, you hear this other idea, and now they leave. They didn't leave anybody behind there. 
you know, for a while. And then I think Timothy and Silas went back, obviously. But what was it that grabbed their lives so intensely that, you know, through persecution, because that Thessalonican mob, they're there still, right? Except for when they chased them to Brian. They can't. So those are their neighbors. Think about that. You've just adopted a new paradigm that your neighbors chased out of town angrily. And you have to live with those people. What was it about what Paul said or did that made it stick? And um, we're going to talk about that. That's, that's the teaching tonight. But I want to start with a couple people. I've asked a couple people to share real briefly just what, what is, uh, what did I say? What is it about Jesus that grabbed your life? You know, so you're, you know, not everyone in this room is necessarily a follower of Jesus, but some people are, or most of us are. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus, there's something about him that's really grabbed your life, really changed your life. And so we're going to have a few of you share, and who wants to go first? Jacob? Jacob's going to share. Yeah, come on up. We want to see you and hear you. This is for you. You can do whatever you want to do. I have nowhere to go. Can you scoot over a little bit? Um, can you hear me? Um, let's see. Well, I grew up going to church, um, and but I think there was something, not that it was church necessarily, because that was really boring as a kid, I think, but um, there was something that resonated um, with me about that there's something more and there would be sometimes in worship or certain songs or um even from when i was really young that um that, that would just resonate with me that there was something more um in life and um <clears throat> and so i think jesus kind of grabbed a hold of me and nothing else or there just hasn't been anything else that's proved itself um better so <laughs> That's why um where I am <laughs> today. <laughs> or that's why I'm here, I guess. So is that is that all you wanted? Is that enough? I have no idea what to expect. That was great. I love it. Okay. Who's next? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so um something that Jesus like did to grab a hold of my life was really leading me with guidance and like making me feel more comforted as I like grew up in a traditional Episcopalian church so it was like really boring for me to like go sit in like the pews and like listen to sermons that like I really didn't understand at all and when I came here um I just found like a feeling of comfort that like I was able to relate to a lot more stuff and I was able to learn a lot more things and it wasn't just sitting there waiting for like the service to be over and I'm a part of the youth group now and I'm a leader and I feel like Jesus has really led me here in a way and he came out to me and like pulled me into him so it wasn't me like because if I wasn't like if I didn't come if I didn't if I wasn't friends with Selah, who's like my best friend, and she didn't bring me to youth group, I probably wouldn't have been going to church at all. So like, I'm really happy that Selah pulled me into youth group because then that eventually led me here to like being a part of the church. And we're really, really happy too, Myla. Yeah. Um, I haven't really had time to think about this, but uh, <clears throat> I guess... Um, what always draws me 
to Jesus and what amazes me about Jesus is that he he is kind of the 11th hour God. Um, and he has shown that to me throughout my entire life. Um, when things look completely impossible, um, he comes in and he saves a day and it's kind of like his specialty. <laughs> and I think, I think it really is. And, um, there have been times where I, I have felt very alone and very like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like I really don't see how this can work out at all. And God just gives me this visual picture of him rolling up his sleeves and he's just so happy because it's in those moments that we really can't do anything. I mean, humanly possible, it is impossible. And so when we leave it in Jesus's hands, he is so excited to, to really show what he can do. It's like he gets to show off and he gets to do for his kids something incredible. Um, so, I mean, I have a little story, but I don't know how much time you have. You got it? All right. Uh, no. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. Um, like literally Christian, Christian asked me, I got the text as I was walking in, but um, I was just thinking during worship about this one time where um, life was really horrible and um, my marriage was, you know, almost um, gone. And Jonathan just found out he had a brain tumor. And um, my kids were, like, extremely sick. And I didn't feel I had no friends anymore. Like, it was just, it was awful. And um, I really was at the bottom. And um, this guy was coming in to rip up our floors. And... Um, he came in and as soon as he came in, I heard Jesus say, you know, speak to him. Uh, he needs Jesus. And I was like, no, like I'm not there, God. Like, you know, like I, and he said, no, because you're covered and I got you. And I remember texting Jonathan. I was like, I can't do this. Like, and I'm like looking at him like, this is really scary. I don't even know his name. Like, this is insane. I have to talk to this guy. But I felt like God was like, he, he needs to hear. He's in like his 11th hour and he needs to hear something. And, um, it was this crazy experience because I just was like, I felt like I just was like, blah, 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 and like just told this guy like my life story and what I was going through. And I was just like, I know this is really weird, but I feel like God wants me to talk to you. And I feel like your heart is really breaking. And I just, I don't know where you are, but I feel like you're, you've had a loss. And, and, and my, I just want to tell you where I am. And God is, you know, in my 11th hour right now. And I just feel like you need to hear from him in your 11th hour. And he broke down crying and we were just like standing there crying together. And it was like the craziest thing ever. And I was just like, I, I just, you know, it's like telling him my life story. And he hugged me and he told me that his um, wife had just committed suicide and um, he, he wanted to end his life. And, and I was like, whoa, that's, that is the 11th hour for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is God's specialty. And, and he loves to speak to us and have us have those moments so that we can minister to others. And, and he was just so blown away by that. And that was God. That was just all God because I didn't feel like I had anything. And that's what's so cool about God is that we're not in a works-oriented 
relationship with him. And most religions, if not all are, you know, you get to, you do all these things and you get to a place, you know, and that's not how Jesus works at all. Like we are always coasting in his grace and needing that. And so that's what attracts me to Jesus is that I don't have to be perfect. He is the God of impossibilities and um, he comes in the nick of time. I saw, you, I saw you walking up, and you were like, duck down. Um, hello. Um, so I'm someone that's very analytical, and um, I like to think about things logically. Don't trust your emotions, and uh, don't trust your perceptions, because they could be wrong, um, which are, are good thoughts, you know, truly. Don't. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, after a while... If you live life totally like that, and it's sort of, um, you go crazy, I think. You know, if you don't trust anything that's, I don't know, you overanalyze everything about life and, and you know, the answers to everything. And uh, it's usually when I go into tangents like that is, is when I'm actually desperate and God can just provide me with some real experience, like a real experience of his presence or or someone showing me love, or I me mean, getting to show someone else his love. And uh, it's just sort of like a slap in the face to, I don't know, and it actually makes me feel alive in a way that analyzing and um, thinking about things doesn't always. So that's what really grabs me. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I was going to say, Sharon, you're one lucky girl. I mean. <laughs> I saw them on a date, actually. Last night? Yeah. I, I caught them on a date, Panera. And he was just sitting there, like, analyzing her. <laughs> yeah, he was like, mm-hmm. All right, so, so um, one of the things I want to do, somebody who's not here tonight had, had suggested that we do some, like, straight through a book study that would be good for us. So that's another stone or another bird that we're killing with the same stone. It's a really bad analogy. But we're, we're going to, so if you want to be studying First Thessalonians, um, that'd be good. And I want to read the whole first chapter. It's actually pretty short. But I like reading it all together because it gives you context and lets you see what the author was thinking. You know, um, if you study your Bible, I would encourage you to do a lot of different things with it. Like sit down with a, a letter like First Thessalonians and read the whole thing beginning to end, and don't think so much about the breakups of the chapters and verses. And then, and then do it with the breakups. And then also do really small sections. Read just a couple verses and really meditate on them and think about how they can apply to your life because it's, it's good to get the big and the small picture. So let's read. Um, it'll, it'll be all behind me, but you can also look it up on your phone if you want to. So this is Paul writing, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. It's just basically uh, his way of saying hi, right? That was just a salutation. So we always thank God for you. And, and I, I really geek out over the letters. They're my favorite part of the, uh, of the Bible. And so um, 
I'm going to pull out just little things I see that I think are cool, and hopefully you'll agree. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from coming wrath. All right, so as we talk about this, I think we can apply this as a church and also hopefully apply it as individuals. Um, what, what if we took some ingredients out of this, okay? What if we took some ingredients of the message? So first off, he had prayer and gratitude. That's the first thing he says. And actually, if you read through the beginnings of all of Paul's letters, almost every time he talks about how much he prays for him and how grateful he is for him. And I, just as a leader, that's a real great role model for me personally. I hear a lot of, okay, sometimes I hear leaders complaining. And I just think this is such an incredible Example, And I think it's true about the church because I think that as a church, we can often complain about the very people God has called us to. We can complain about how horrible the wor- world is, how backwards the world is, how this and this and this and this. And, and yet we are the ones called on mission. I mean, how weird would that be if we really thought about it that way? And he's saying, I'm so grateful for you guys. And, and he's, he's full of prayer and intercession. And as I started to think about this, for me, I started to realize that I do a really good job praying for the people who are close to me. I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. I pray for my church. I pray for people having a hard time in our church. But I never pray for my neighbors. Like, almost never. There's been like occasional times where I felt convicted and so I've prayed right then, but I've never made it a consistent theme. Like, I pray for my kids pretty much every single day. I, I pray for the church pretty much every single day, right? There's things that I, that I, and you pray about what you care about. You pray about what your priorities are. And so I don't, I don't pray for my neighbors. I don't pray for the people, uh, you know, in my soccer team or my kid's soccer team, or I don't have a soccer team, in my kid's soccer team. You know, I don't, I don't pray for people that Mandy works with. And and I'm not sitting there with a lot of gratitude in my heart. I'm not like, Lord, thank you so much for so-and-so who, you know, it, that's just not even there. I mean, I thank God for you guys and for my kids, but what if we took some of this that's happening in here and let it spill out into our relationships in the world? What if we started to pray for our neighbors? What if we started to pray for God to, to work in that person's life that you see at work? Not You don't have to even tell them about it. You don't have to get in their face about it. But what if you started praying on a daily basis for the other people that you come in contact with. And maybe some of you are are better than I am um, at at doing that. But for me, it's just never been something that I've been good at. So I think that that's that's where it starts. What if we as a group right here of, you know, 50 adults committed to pray for our neighbors for a year? Like we picked five people that don't go to our church currently and we didn't talk to them about Jesus. We just prayed for them. I wonder what would happen. 
You know, now I'm, I'm pretty sure not, they wouldn't all like come running to church, right? Uh, I believe that prayer needs to be coupled with action. And, uh, but I bet you things would start to happen. You know, I've heard enough stories of prayer breaking through impossible walls that once we start praying, you never know what's going to happen. So I want to read you just a brief thing out of this book. This book has uh, touched my life. And so if you ever want to read it, it's Draw the Circle. So there's this guy who um, wanted to inter- introduce legislation uh, into Washington. They had like a, this was in 1994. It was a long time ago. But um, they had like a telecommunications bill going through. It was a long time ago. And they wanted, he, he wanted to introduce legislation that all of the, you know, the adult channels would have to be fully scrambled because at that time they weren't. And so he was preparing to go to all 435 offices of House representatives and 100 senators' offices. He was going to every single office, 535, to ask someone to support his bill. So he had gone through 220 of them. And he says, this is him. I was on the second floor of the Longworth building. I went over to a window, sat on its cold marble sill and hung my head in defeat. And I said, stop wasting your time and go home. Never before and never since has God spoken to me so clearly. While I sat there looking down, totally dejected, these words were spoken to me as clear as a bell. Who is doing this, you or me? I can't explain how I felt when I heard those words, but I straightened up and I responded, you are Lord. Instantly I was filled with more excitement than when I had first begun. At each of the next 215 offices, my presentations were given with renewed faith. I am not exaggerating this a little bit further when I tell you this. As my leg crossed the threshold as I exited the 435th office, the last office, this next part will show you how long ago this was, my pager. Remember those are? My pager went off and the chairman had just agreed to allow my amendment to be added to the bill. But that was crazy. First of all, that should never have happened. And, and there's more to the story that I don't have time to read you, but everybody was saying, look, there's no way. It's too late. Like, if he opens this up to you, he has to open it up to everyone, and it's never going to happen. Like, in, na- in the natural, it shouldn't have happened. But prayer, and that's what God was communicating to him. Like, trust me, I've got this. And talk about the 11th hour God, right? So he had to go to all 435 offices. Could have been the first dude. Right? But as he walked in obedience and faith, trusting what he could not see, God came through for him. So I, I just wonder, he goes on to say, like, what if we, what if like, you know, all those things in the Bible, like what if when they marched around Jericho, they stopped at six? And they're like, well, I guess it didn't work. You know, well, I mean, and you could do that all down the line. Well, what if he had stopped at the 434th office? I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have worked. So sometimes you just have to keep praying, keep trusting and say, what if God is going to, breakthrough in this person's life. All right, so prayer and gratitude. Then he, said, then he goes on, he says, you know, brothers and sisters, um, that we came to you not only with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So you may tired of hearing the word naturally supernatural. I know it gets said a lot in a vineyard, but it is really a truly important part of who we are if we're going to live the message, okay? If we're talking about ingredients for delivering the message, talking about prayer and gratitude for the people around us in our lives. And we're talking about how we're going to be vessels. So first I would say, what's really cool is the authenticity of Paul here. And this could take me into a whole other teaching. There's so many times where he talks about how he lived amongst the people. He wasn't this, um, you know, 
uh, isolated, kind of lifted above the others. Like, you know, I'm a teacher, call me teacher. He was just in the people. He would often get jobs so that they wouldn't even have to pay him. He said, I I don't want to be a burden to you. I just want to give you the gospel. And he had this sense of authenticity, of just living a normal life. He wasn't so spiritual that he was not earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Like he wasn't so, so super into all of the things that is whatever, spiritual or spirituality or Christianity that he couldn't relate to the common individual. And I think he was, he was modeling Jesus, right? He was reflecting who Jesus was. Jesus didn't get accused of hanging out with the religious people too much. He got accused, right, or being too fanatical. He got accused of, right, being with the drunkards and, you know, so there's this sense, (laughs) drunkards, that's the total biblical word that isn't used at all in society anymore. (laughs) And the uh, lepers. So anyway, um, (sighs) authentic. So uh, when I moved into my house, uh, my, the people who sold me the house told me about my neighbor. And they told me, um, this guy, hopefully that neither of them listens to this teaching, but um, it said, this guy's crazy. And you need to stay out of his way. And they told me all these horror stories of this guy. So I've lived there for two years, and, I, and I've like talked to him in passing, but I have not pursued any sort of relationship with the guy. And um, literally, he built an eight-foot fence between our houses. So it's like, and I now know why, actually. I just, I just, he did. He did not make me pay for it. Good one. So just recently, um, Mandy made, accidentally made too many cookies. Wow, this is all about cookies. I didn't realize that. So we took him to our three immediate neighbors and I, and I went over with Eden to deliver these cookies to this guy. And uh, he and his wife were like, come on in. And they welcomed us in their house. And so like, I have like competing things going on in my head because part of me is like, this guy's weird. This guy's weird. Like, what's going to happen? Like, I'm staying close to Eden. You know, like, I don't know. Like, people tell you someone's weird. Like, how weird, right? And we get in there, and, you know, he is definitely eccentric. Like, he is, he is his own person. But they were so nice. And they're just people. Like, everybody's just people, right? And just got in there. They started, he, he walked me and Eden around the house, showed me all these things that he has that he loves. And like, he, I don't know, like maybe did some things that like I wouldn't have done, but it was, nothing was super, super weird. And we ended up staying there for like a half an hour and talking and hanging out. And I just, yeah, I, I secretly did. Yeah, I called 911. Um, but it just for me was like, I don't know, I need to continue to get out of my bubble you know, and, and live life. I lived among you. And then he says, you know, we came to you not only with words, with, with, but with power. But I'd like to stop there and say he did come with words. He was saying things. Like Carl Medeiros, he, he writes this great book um, in which he says that, you know, we just need to be talking about Jesus, right? It just needs to become part of our dialogue. That like I talk about football, right? Or I talk about food, that I talk about Jesus. I, I'm at least as passionate about Jesus as I am about food. And yet I talk about those other two things way more in natural conversation. So how can I learn to talk about Jesus? Just, you know, even talking about that right now makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But how can we learn to, to get that into our conversation? And I believe that opens the door then to the power. You know, I think what um, Jacob was saying was that he was attracted to the more of God. There's, there's more. There's a sense in people that there's a longing for something deeper. Um, I, I, I listened to some teachings on evangelism and three things, this guy did this study of people who recently came to faith and three things that they shared were um, that uh, many of them had a, a history of faith, even if it was a negative history. 
that many people who came back to Jesus or got saved, right, in his church had some sort of history of faith. Many of them were going through a crisis and all of them were looking for more. And I know I've said that here before, but I think it's important. Like, that's a, that's a selling point. We're talking about ingredients of the message. We can't just, uh, you know, trim off the supernatural to make it look more appealing. Somehow we have to learn how to communicate with the power of God and the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly how that looks all the time. You know, for me, where I start is just starting to try to pray for people when the, when the time is right, when it's appropriate. And, and, and that at least opens the door for God to do something in that moment, you know? But I, I believe that the more that we share and meet and talk to people who aren't currently following Jesus, I believe the more miracles we're gonna see. I think that where we see the miracles in the Bible is not in the churches a whole lot, but it's out in the community. It's when Jesus is talking to people who don't believe in him. It's when the disciples are out on their missionary journeys that we see people getting healed and saved and delivered and raised from the dead. And so maybe that will be an uptick in the stuff that in the barn we long for as we go talk to people. So, okay. The last, the last bit that he talks about, and you can read this on your own, he basically says the, the message is spreading. You know, you, you guys... Right? He says, you imitated us and then all these people in these, other, these two other towns and then more towns, and, and it's contagious. You know, if we, if we communicate the message of the gospel correctly, I mean, what if your neighbor that you talk to has 10 friends that they have a whole lot of influence over? I mean, this might not happen, but what if? What if your neighbor finds Jesus, starts coming to church, and they have influence over this group of people and— 20% of them start coming or, or all of them start coming. I mean, that's how revival starts to happen. That's how communities get shaped and changed. That's how churches grow with non-transfer growth, right? Not just like, ooh, let's try out this other church down the corner. And then in a year, we'll go try out this other church down the next corner. Like we're looking for the people who, that, you know, I think I said this many times, but the 200,000 people who live out in this general area who don't go to church right now, they don't go to Catholic church, they don't go to Protestant church, they're not churching at all. And the greatest way to reach people for Jesus is through the church. So how can we reach them and bring them in? What if you, you, we find, like, it might feel so difficult and we like, let's say we pray for 100 people and two of them find Jesus in a year. We could be discouraged by that. But what if those two people are somehow gateway people to another, who knows? I mean, it's just, it's just that whole, like, I've reading enough stories. You should, you should read this book. You should read other people's books. You should read other people's stories. You should listen to other people's teachings because God is moving all over the world all the time. When people are believing, taking risks and praying big prayers and getting outside of the church, things are happening. People's lives are being changed. Miracles are happening. Salvations are happening. Baptisms are happening. And people are legitimately saying, I didn't know Jesus and now I know Jesus. Sometimes I feel so insulated by the church that I don't even believe it happens anymore. I just feel like the only testimonies I ever hear are, I was at this church and now I'm at a better church. Like that is not what makes my heart beat, right? I want to see people come find Jesus for the first time. That would be so exciting. So I think part of it is the ingredients that we read about right here. You talked about prayer, being grateful for the people in our lives, being authentic, being in, just being a person, being a friend, being ready to talk about Jesus when just as part of our normal life. And then being ready to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think as we communicate that, it'll spread. So that's the message of 1 Thessalonians 1. 
We'll talk about 1 Thessalonians 2 next week. It's the second chapter. You could read it. And uh, we should, let's worship. We have time for a song or two. So worship team, come back up. What we do here at Sunday night after the teaching is we respond. So we're going to do some worship. You can respond through worship. You can also respond by taking communion. There's communion on both sides of the table. Um, There you go. So let's stand together. And um, as these guys get their instruments ready, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word that is still so relevant and alive that we can read it right now in this, you know, 2017 America. And even though it was written 2,000 years ago, halfway across the world, Jesus, it is so real and relevant for us. And we thank you that your word is alive. God, I pray that we could be vessels, messengers of your message, God. And, And we would, I pray you'd communicate this to us, that in a way that makes sense for our friendships and our families and our coworkers and our classmates, God, that we could be that, that message and, and start to carry those ingredients. God, would you start to highlight people in our lives that we can begin to pray for and just excite us for the possibility, the what if, what if, God, just excite us for that in Jesus' name. Amen.